What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Rockcast, powered by Onyx Hunt Maps. Today we have Robbie Denning on, and we're going to talk about mule deer, specifically scouting, given the time of year we're in. So thanks, Robbie, for hopping on. Hey, good morning. Morning. How's uh, how's Idaho? Or I guess we're Pretty in the good. same state now. Yeah, we're in the same state. I know it took you a while, but I'm, you're finally here. So uh, <laughs> welcome to Idaho. And I'm uh, sorry that you got to live in the metropolis and I, I get to live out in the country. But hey, at least we're in the same state. Yeah, we're in the same state. Not too far apart anymore. Um, so we wanted to talk about mule deer today, specifically scouting. Um, how's that, how's your season shaping up so far? Like, what are your scouting plans this summer? You know, I'm, I'm feeling the pain of everybody clamping down on tags virtually everywhere. So it looks like I just may have one tag this year, which is enough. I'm happy with that. Um, but it doesn't look like multi-state hunting for me this year. Um, so just focus on some of the, the key places I've seen bucks in over the last 20 years and, just I kind of look at scouting kind of like checking a trap line. I just start checking places I've seen them before. You know, usually I try to throw, throw in a new place every year if I haven't visited somewhere. And that doesn't always happen because sometimes I can't get to all the ones I've been to. Um, so that's the plan. Awesome. When you're scouting and going out um, in the summertime, like you're checking places you've already been, but on the new places, is there like a certain type of country you're looking at, like mid elevation or like high elevation basins or do you? No, I, I look at yeah. it all, you know, live, living in, living in Idaho, we've got a little bit of everything. We've got some high country, um, some mid elevation, what I call Aspen conifer habitat. And uh, that typically grows the biggest bucks. And then, you know, we've got, we've got, well, again, huge desert country in a lot of places um, very low deer density that stuff is tough but there are there is deer in it and so over the years i've i've ended up in in all of those um and you know probably more kind of the, the aspen conifer zone into the high country but but all of it and so kind of to answer your question i have to jump back like 30 years when i really first started scouting and everything you know i was like a lot of people i just go to where i could glass and go to the high country and everything but you know that's 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 limiting too and and you know as i over the years as i learned more places and heard of big bucks in different places and learned different country i i've just added that to my agenda each year you know and i'm i'm trying to get to all of it i really am yeah so with the something that i've been i went out on my first scouting trip last week and something i've been looking at like in the i would say more of the mid elevation zones is it all looks more similar than the high country elevations mm -hmm. if that makes sense like it seems mm -hmm. like it's easier to find those basins because it's all treed up and then there's just open spots of of basin that you can that you can glass so mm -hmm. you're not it's it seems like it's easier for me anyways to narrow those places down but the mid elevation where it's a lot of like sagebrush and then goes into timber mm -hmm. pockets a lot of that looks the same to me <laughs> Dennis Winch, the guy that wrote that that book last year, I, review, I reviewed on the Rock blog. He calls it the no seem zone because <laughs> it's so hard to see deer in that kind of that mid elevation stuff. And 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 Jordan, I think that's you heard me say it a second ago. I think that's one reason it grows the biggest bucks is it's just hard to hunt. And so so this is what I do. 
and I don't know if this is going to help a, a traveling hunter that wants to hunt a new area this year, but I, I just started listening to people about where big bucks had been killed. And I didn't, it didn't matter to me if it was killed 15 years ago. Um, you know, and, and, and sometimes that's the only information you can get, you know, people won't tell you where they killed one last year, but you know, it leaks out over the years. And I just started looking at places like that. And the, best buck i've ever taken was killed in the aspen conifer zone in in mid elevation country that is hard to hunt it's just like what you just described you know it's 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 heavily timbered a lot of brush not a lot of openings and um i i got a tip from a archery elk hunter on that place and um and i just started he had, he had seen some big bucks there and he knew i was interested in big bucks he was, i was like hey man when i'm when i'm archery hunting elk i always see big bucks here and you know you got to go check it out i mean that's like a million dollar tip so i jumped all over that but it still took like three years to figure that place out to what, figure out where you know what country i could see um, you know, I, ha I had to hunt it during the season and kind of you know, get some snow on the ground, figure out where the bucks are moving, you know, looking at their tracks and stuff like that. And I think I started scouting it, you know, two or three years, probably maybe even four years before that. And then on the, on the, on the third year, I found a giant buck in there and I ended up finding another giant buck somewhere else. And so I wasn't on, I didn't even hunt that buck that year, but then the next year I went back and he had exploded from like 200 to 235. And so I put all my effort in him and, um, ended up killing him. And so you gotta, you gotta kind of have a lead on country. You know, it's, it's hard to pull it off of Google earth, you know, like what you just said, it kind of all looks the same, mm -hmm. but you know, if, if it's historically holding mule deer, it has to be secure. You know, it can't, and it can be a mile off the road, but it's gotta be a hump to get in there still, you know, and you may even be able to glass it from a road, but you know, as far, it can't have a four wheeler trail right through the middle of it. You know, it can't be like that. You know, but if it's, if it's, if it's got those ingredients together, it's, it's, it's worth putting time into. And now with trail cameras, that's going to shorten the learning curve a little bit, not a lot because, you know, those, that type of country too, typically has, you know, water in it and it, it it's hard to pattern deer. You used to got to, you know, really get some cameras out, you know, half a dozen to a dozen and hit every trail in, in the area to, to pick up anything that way. But, you know, 20 years ago, I didn't even have that option. And I was still figuring yeah. out how to do it. So that just speeds it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's really nice. We used a trail camera. Well, we attempted to use a trail camera on that, that hunt we did a couple of years ago. And, uh, <laughs> I, that would have been so nice. And just packing a little camera like that in, what is that a little stealth cam? Yeah, that was, that was one of the, the smaller stealth cams. Um, no LCD screen on it. It was just a cheapy, like $120 cam. I got it from Black Ovis. Uh, I think I bought three or four of them. And they're, um, so with what you're talking about, you're talking about that little trail I found across that rock slide yep. where I had seen that buck. And we had seen that buck, what, about... 500 yards from there in yeah. the summer i'd seen him and it, you know wide open stuff you just know he's not going to go back out in it as soon as people start stomping around and so we put that camera on that little trail and remember we were picking up bucks every time we checked it we were picking up bucks we just mm -hmm. never picked him up and so that, that's right right there that's it falls right into the question that you're asking and that's where you know an advantage we have right now that we didn't have 20 years ago but it takes time it takes a mm -hmm. lot of time to put that stuff together and figure it out and pattern them Yep. So what time of year do you like to start scouting deer? Um, right Jim Carr now. Talks, yep. <laughs> I was going right. to say, Jim Carr talks about June. 
Yeah. Now I don't usually do the high country in June. Um, when I'm talking high country, you know, and you know, central Idaho, uh, Southeastern Idaho, you know, uh, Western Idaho, high country around here is about 8,000 feet plus, you know, maybe 8,500 feet plus. We don't have the big stuff like Colorado, you know, most of our, we don't have hardly any mountains in Idaho over 11,000. So kind of the 8,500 and up. I usually wait until about the middle of July on that kind of stuff, just because I've been, I've just seen those deer. They're really mobile right now in that type of country. They're still, they're still finishing their migration. And, you know, I'm not saying don't go do it, but you know, if you've only got so many days to scout, I don't want to burn them on on something where, unless I'm just looking at country, which I'm not usually looking at country. And I saw some of those questions that people sent in, you know, I'm looking for bucks. And so I want to find, I want to find bucks. So high country a little bit later, but right now, um, um, the lower country, you know, mid elevation and down those deer are settling into that stuff. And so, you know, I'll start my scouting then. And, you know, that could just be putting out a couple trail cameras, but it, it also can be, you know, glassing certain places where i know bucks I, i've either seen them in the past or people have told me that they're there um you know or, or again maybe i'm just trying to learn a new place so i just i just want to go look at the country and i'm, I'm still not a big e-scouter guy i know we get a lot of questions on that and i always feel a little bit bad on that but um and and i certainly use it but i just man, get my eyeballs on the country and you know google earth will lie to you you know it makes everything seem small and easy and, um, you know, you could, you can use Onyx and everything and kind of overlay the, the country and get an idea of, of access points and everything, but it's, maybe I'm just old school. I still need to get out there and really see what really does that one mile look like between those two roads that I can see on Onyx here. You know, that's, that, that, that might be a, a big mile as in it's really rough and hard to get across and no oh, crap, there's a piece of private right here. Nobody can come in that way. You know, that's the kind of stuff I'd, I'd like to find. But sometimes you get out there and you're like, well, I can basically see everything between these two roads. Oh, and look, there's a, there's a trail that's not even listed. And, you know, Onyx and all those, they're, they're great. They get all that stuff on there, but they don't have every illegal, you know, farmer trail that has been made through, through every place. So I really like to get out there and look at that stuff if I'm looking for country and, and get a feel for it. It's so important. So when I went last week, there's a ridge that cuts two basins in half. And from Google Earth, I'm like, boy, I can just run right up that thing. And I got up there. I mean, it was a couple miles and, and it was okay for the first little bit. And then I got a little rock crawly and mm -hmm. things that mother would not approve of. And <laughs> I finally got up there and there was a whole nother set of cliffs that did not look as tall as they were on Google earth. And mm -hmm. I couldn't, I could barely see like one part of the basin. Couldn't see the other one at all and couldn't keep going. Couldn't get up there. So mm -hmm. yep. if I would have put all my, now you got the basket, recon. Now yep, you got exactly. the recon and that's why I like to do get as much time on the ground as I can, because that's the kind of stuff you just can't ferret out with, with only e-scouting. I mean, e-scouting puts you in the country, but now, you know, Hey, I, I don't want to go that way. I want to go that way. And, you know, now <laughs> I've just kind of learned the, the same, like, if, it's funny when I talk to people, if, if they've looked at a place on Google earth and I, I have too. We, we almost always think the exact same thing. Everybody ends up in the same place. And so there's going to be somebody that looks at that place that you just did. And, you know, 
deer season will open October 1st and they'll be cliffed out on opening morning because <laughs> yes. all they did, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so that's why you, why you just got to get out there and look at it as much as you can. Yep. Yeah. It's super important. And so now just knowing that Intel, like we planned a new route in there and it's going to be much better. I'm pretty sure we'll see, but, um, yeah. So moving on to like right now, let's go to, I think let's skip to the high country a little bit more in July. Um, and I think more of the time frame from now until, you know, July, mid July, those, do you think the bucks are following the snow line up or do you think that they're waiting a little bit more? No, they follow the green wave in the high country. And so, so there's been a lot of studies done on this and I'll just kind of summarize you know, what I, what I think I've read is that, um, you know, your mountain Valley deer, basically your migrational deer, the deer that make that live in, you know, high mountain country in the summer, and then they'll migrate to lower elevation, you know, valleys, desert, stuff like that. They have a good showing in Boone and Crockett. They really do. They're some of the biggest deer that are out there. And there's certainly a bunch of exceptions. But, you know, these bucks that, that tend to do these big, long migrations, as long as they're in a good genetic area, they, they tend to grow big bodies and big antlers. And, and the reason why is they're following the green wave. And as, 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 as green up comes, so, you know, the snow starts to melt off in March and, you know, at the low elevation, you know, we're getting buds coming out of the ground, you know, late March and, 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 um, not just buds, you know, but the, 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 the food that deer eat, yeah, yeah, that stuff's all coming out and the deer, the deer are focusing on that, right. When it comes out, but then as that country dries out, you know, into May and everything, the snow is melted at a higher elevation. Now, you, you know, your soil moisture is better, higher. And so those plants come out and they're more nutritious. And um, so the deer will follow that. And, and these mountain valley deer will follow that, you know, all the way to 13,000 feet in places like Colorado. And it may take them till August to get there. But, but the studies that have been done on it is, is those deer are accessing the most nutritious uh, food sources for a longer period than just, let's just say there's a buck living um, in low ele lower elevation country and he's almost non-migratory. Maybe he only moves a few miles a year. So he doesn't get to follow that green wave the entire time. You know, he's eating really nutritious food for a little bit, but then his diet is, is, is his habitats changed over to more drier. You know, you're getting into the drier season of the West. The West is notoriously dry. Uh, and, and, and so if he's just staying in that one place, he's not going to be getting the, 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 the higher protein content, all the things that come with good, good moisture. And, and again, there's certainly exceptions to that, but that's really what's, what's going on. And that's why those deer are, are doing that moving. Uh, from these low elevations, to these higher elevations, it's, it's driven by food. And, you know, I learned like 30 years ago from, from guys in Colorado that were like, you know, there's some of these places that are really high, you know, like there's still deer country in some places that are like 12, five to, you know, 13, 13, five, right around in there. And they're like, these bucks don't even get here until the middle of August. And, and then they're just there a few weeks as that, as that, uh, those food sources, you know, start to dry out again. And that's usually um, just the end of the growing season and frost and all that other stuff. Then they're back down, but they're, they're driven by, you know, the most nutritious 
food sources. And, you know, we, we know what good food is. Why would they not know what it is? You know, we know what tastes mm-hmm. good and, and all that stuff and makes us fat. So anyways, <laughs> does, um, does when you're looking, so let's say you find some bucks in the way high country, mid August, a lot of green grass up there. Are you thinking ahead and scouting a little bit lower than those elevations for where the grass will stay better instead of getting burnt off up up higher? Maybe no. where those bucks are. Okay. Uh-uh. I don't even go until I know those bucks are up there. That's why I kind of wait on the on the high country until later in the summer. You know, I want those bucks settled in and everything. I'm not trying to catch them before they get there. I want to catch them when they're there. And um the opposite might be true that, you know, once, once you lose all your vegetation up high, it gets cold, they rub their antlers and they move out of that country. They, they do, they, they don't typically just migrate back to the valleys. They just transition into the heavier cover, the, the, you know, the finger ridges that have a lot more cover on them. Um, and so, you know, I'll, I'll start hunting lower. Rarely am I hunting at the same elevation in October than I, as I am, you know, late August or early September archery season, but you know, I may only be 500 feet lower, but it's almost a completely different habitat zone. You know, that's why the bucks are hard to see, you know, they're not just running around on those open ridges by then. Yeah. I think a perfect example of that is that hunt that you and I did in the high country a couple of years ago when we were looking for that buck rock slide, mm-hmm. you, you know, we were up higher in, in some of that, that country where, you know, you had seen deer, but just a, not very much lower is where we stalked into that buck. And that grass was knee high. Knee high. Exactly. Yeah. And that stuff that was up top was already getting burnt off and, and, you know, drying out and, 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 and plus I just think those older bucks, they don't like being that exposed, you know, once mm-hmm. their antlers are rubbed, you know, there's, there's, you know, their antlers are tender when they're growing. So I think they're just more careful about going in the brush and everything, but you know, I don't think they like being out exposed. You can see all the little bucks running around up, up there and you and I videoed a bunch of them running around up there, mm-hmm. but you know, the, remember the buck, the guy shot with the radio collar on. Yeah. Okay. So look, look how low on the mountain that buck was comparatively speaking. Yeah. We could see him from the top of the mountain, but he was clear down in the rocky, um, excuse me, bluffy stuff, a lot more cover down there yet in the summer when I was up there, they were right up there where you and I were filming. Mm, They were right on top, man. That's interesting, but it, it makes sense. I mean, it makes perfect sense when you start putting, I think that that's something that people overlook is the feed of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the food value and whatnot. You just see pictures of people shooting a deer, having a trophy picture up way up in the top of some crazy basin, you know, and that might be in Colorado and you're hunting in Idaho where that just like doesn't happen like that. And there's no food mm-hmm. up there either. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think the nutrition is, I mean, as far as food stuff goes and understanding what deer like to eat as mm-hmm. often overlooked. Yeah, it, it is. And, 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 you know, I had an old deer hunter tell me this once I've said it on several podcasts, but it's, and that's always stuck with me. That's why I always think this way is it's like, you know what, these deer are responding to conditions we don't even perceive. And, and he's right. There's things going on that we don't even know are, are affecting their behavior. And you're mentioning one of them, you know, the changing food sources, you know, the deer, a deer's gut um, is, is very diverse. You know, I mean, we humans, we, eat the same food all year long you know our, 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 our you know we can 
our digestion abilities don't change. And it does for a deer through, throughout the year. They've got these cycles where they can digest uh, certain foods, you know, later in the year, it's, you know, the woody brow, stuff like that, you know, this time of year. And I think this is another reason that, you know, you see them, you see them out in the open and stuff. And, you know, Jim Carr is correct. And that, you know, sometimes right now can be the very best scouting for some of the lower elevation stuff is the deers are heavily dependent on grass. Well, where does grass grow in the open, wide open meadowy type stuff. And so they're really hitting that stuff. But then as, as, as summer gets later, their, their digestive um, abilities, I'll call it change. I'm not a biologist. I don't know all the different um, terminology for, but it changes and they, they move more into the herbs and the forbs. And, and, you know, that's kind of a late summer, early fall type diet. And then as you get later in the fall, again, with what I started with is the more woody brows and everything. So those deer are, are moving with that. And, and that, that could only be a couple hundred yards, by the way, that doesn't mean they you know, they migrate from yeah. peak to peak to peak. Um, and, and, and so having said that, Jordan, you know, guys are always asking me like, what plant should I be looking for? Man, it's kind of like Google earth. I, I don't look at the plants that much, believe it or not. I'm always looking for bucks. Your bucks are your, they're, they're telling you where they're at when you're yeah. seeing their tracks or you're seeing them. You know what I mean? And so the whole plant thing is kind of secondary to me is, is okay. Now the bucks are here and I look around. Okay. Okay. They're eating that. Okay. They're eating on that bush. You know, when we remember when we were filming last year on that, that late hunt, remember that bush we found on the side of the road that that buck was scraping <laughs> yep. and yet you can see that they've been eating on it and everything. I don't know what that bush is called. Um, um, but, but I know that late in the year, that was a mid November hunt. That's a woody browse. I think is what a biologist calls that. The, the bucks are honing in on that stuff. They're not out in those big, wide open, beautiful meadows that we were seeing. I remember some of, that, some of that stuff looked great, but that that's more like August, you know, type stuff. And so anyways, you know, know your plants, but you know, remember the deer don't know the names of the plants either. And so, so right. I, when I go somewhere, I'm looking for green feed and I'm looking for deer. That's really what I'm looking at. And one of those questions I saw in there, the guy was saying, he said, when aerial scouting, what's the number one thing you're looking for? Well, number one is a great pilot that can fly in the mountains. That's your number <laughs> one thing. Don't go, don't go with anybody that just flies from airport to airport to airport. But beyond that, yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking for deer. And you know, when you're flying, it's hard to, oh, that's a 26 inch buck and that's mm. a 29. I mean, a lot of times you just get a glance of them. But I'm I, I if I'm going to a new area. You know, I don't do this near as much as I used to because Google Earth can help you so much now learn country. Um, um, you know, you didn't used to have that resource. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times you're flying, you're just learning country. Like that basin looks good. It's got feed in it, green feed, even if I don't know the name of the plants. Um, but, you know, your gold standard is, hey, there's there's two bucks standing on that ridge over there. I can't tell you what, really what they are, but this is buck country. And and I think I think what what, what makes it hard and I, I've talked to a few Eastern deer hunters. In fact, I'm, I'm doing a book review right now. It'll be on the rock blog here, hopefully in the next couple of weeks about um, uh, an Eastern deer hunter that came out uh, West to hunt mule deer. And the first thing he noticed that we don't even think about this is he's like, you know, in Eastern deer country, the deer are pretty evenly distributed. Yep. They're, you know, 50 deer per square mile. Doesn't matter which square mile you're in. That's what you got. You know, I'm just throwing out some numbers. And when he came to the West, he was like, there's huge expanses of country that have no deer in it. <laughs> And, and I'm like, well, of course, 
I, but that's because I live here. I don't think about that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, and so just reading that book kind of helped me think, yeah, you're, you know, you're right. There's a lot of country that doesn't have deer in it. And that's what this, that's what we're talking about on this podcast is how do you narrow down that country? And sometimes I think we, we, we overthink it and we, we overutilize Google earth thinking that we're going to find it because every time I do a podcast, there's all these questions about Google earth. What do I look for? What do I look for? Well, I look for steep. I, it has to be green. I don't eat rocks. Um, you know, and, and typically scouting's in the summer, so it's going to be green. And um, you know, water sources secondary. Well, somebody else threw a question in there about water. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and um, it, it, relatively inaccessible. You know, the the the, the four wheelers and the motorbikes, if 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 they can get there easily, even if they're not hunters. You know, if they're, if they're just picnickers and, you know, gramps and gram out for a four wheeler ride, they're not going to be in those areas. You know, there'll be some small bucks running around there, but your big ones aren't going to st stick around for that. So, so I'm looking for, for a country like that is, is what I'm looking for. And a lot of times you strike out. And that's why I brought up what that guy said is you still got to filter through all the country that doesn't have deer in it. But if you're just jumping around from state to state and unit to unit, looking for these hot spots. Man, I think that's like 25 years ago. I think now you gotta you gotta keep a good journal, and you gotta you gotta look at country year after year after year, and and you gotta you gotta kind of go. Okay, I've seen bucks here at this time of year. I'm gonna go check that place, or I've seen bucks in this place this time of year. I know some guys that hunt here. They hunt elk. They always tell me they see bucks in this place. You know, it's it's it, it's the small picture stuff. You gotta really be able to narrow down and and. You know, I, maybe somebody like Mark Livesey on, uh, you know, he does the elk one. You, you did a review for him, didn't you, Jordan? I did. Yep. Yep. I okay. Did. When I listen to his stuff, cause it's all elk focused. Okay. He's dialed it in. He, he really has on, on what, you know, features and things like that to look for, for elk. I keep saying, I, I feel like I'm disappointing people when they ask me Google earth questions. I don't, I don't have that level of knowledge for deer for, for, for Google earth. Google earth for me is just like, you know, figuring out how far it is from roads has to be somewhat inaccessible. Um, is it green? Yeah, I know. Is it, is, is, is it, is it bucky? What does bucky mean? That's that steep, varied feature type terrain that I'm talking about. And, and I'll get off my rant here in just a second. Let me give you the final example. A lot of people are shocked when they find out most of the big mule deer. I've, my, my average big mule deer has been killed kind of in that 150 to 225 yard range. Um, and, um, a lot of guys are surprised that I'm not whacking them out there at these extreme distances. This is why they big ones don't typically live in places that you can see a long ways with where they're at. They're in that very cut up terrain and you almost have to get in their bedroom to kill them. And there's certainly exceptions to that. Do not get me wrong. You know, there's probably guys sitting there thinking, wait a minute, I see one across the canyon all the time. There's one place that I go. There's certainly places like that. But for the most part, I'm looking for places that are that are that are cut up that way to have all that very terrain because that's what bucks like. They big bucks. They don't like to just be exposed. You know, they 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 feel very vulnerable. When, when, when they're in country like that. And I think that's why as soon as they rub their antlers, they get out of it and, and, and they get into the, the, the more rough, the more rough stuff. So, so a lot of these places, you know, you, you, you really got to get in and, 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 and boots on the ground and, and, and spend time learning them. And, you know, if, 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 if the place is hard to glass, that's actually um, a plus for me not not a negative where a lot of times I'm working I'm talking to guys and they're just they're only looking for easy places to glass I'll end with that yep okay so with that 
um, going in and scouting the country. How long are you giving some of these areas that you know you've seen bucks in before? And then how long are you giving some areas where it looks like there should be deer there, but you haven't been there before? Yeah, that's a good question. I saw that popped up on about three or four different guys. That's always a good question because that's the thing. You, you do all this stuff and you go somewhere, you know, you find a spot, you know, you know, guys have told you there's bucks there. Maybe no one was killed there. Maybe you've even seen them there. And then, then you get there and you're not seeing anything. It's like, gosh, do I, how long do I wait? And, and that totally legitimate question. Cause you can be overpatient, believe it or not. You have, you can be overpatient. And, um, so if it's, if it's before antler rub and, and I expect them to be in the, in the open. And again, you can't have grandma and grandpa ripping their four wheeler through there every morning, drinking coffee, walk, watching the sunrise. I'm talking a place where bucks are, are, are comfortable coming out. They're in their normal patterns. They're not just getting bumped around by, by, by activity. Then I should be able to do uh, a morning, an evening, and a morning. That should be enough to see them or not. And if I stay any longer than that, it's usually because of like when you keep talking about that hunt we filmed a couple of years ago, you know, I stayed there for, I can't remember what, 12 days, 13 days. Yep. Okay. And, and I still never saw him. Why did I do all that? Because I knew that if he was going to show up, it was going to be there. Cause I had seen him there. I had seen him there late, late August, almost before antler rub, he was there. It's been my experience. They don't just move miles and miles and miles. They could, some do, but most don't. Um, and so I just, I just stayed right there the whole time. Well, that's because, you know, I'm, I could have killed him if I could, I could have found him. I'm not just in the scouting mode, but if I'm in the scouting mode, still looking for the buck and trying to, you know, build my quote hit list, then kind of that morning, evening, morning seems, seems to be the magic. And, you know, on both ends of that, sometimes I'm only in one place for a morning In some places I may give it two or three mornings. Um, you know, if it's just, especially if it's a place I can see a lot of country, you know, that's, that's, that plays into it too. There's some places you can sit, you're looking at one hillside, that's where they're going to be. If they're not there, Oh, I'm not going to stay a long time, but there's other places. That's what I love about my BTXs, man. So some places I can, I can look in three different drainages. That's going to need probably two or three mornings. That makes sense. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. That makes sense. Um, is there, what about when you, have you ever found a buck scouting and gone back to scout him again, like keep tabs on him when it's early before antler rub and he's not there? Yeah. Like, is it, has it been hard, like keeping track of deer in the summertime? Um, yeah, but I find that it's not because they left. It's yeah, just because of this whole cut up terrain that I'm talking about. You can be right in there with them and not see them. So jalapeno, that buck I always talk about, he lived in a place like that, you know, cut up, up and down, um, you know, not that far from a road, like a mile or so from a road, but it was rough to get to, hard to get to. And, um, you know, hard to stay, no water. I mean, there was just, just, just a tough place to, to even camp. <clears throat> and, um, oh, I counted it up one time. I hunted that buck three years. I probably saw him 
I don't know, eight or nine times in that three years, that's over like 40 or 50 days of hunting. So, so do the math in there. Look how many different days I didn't see him in there. What am I seeing every four days, probably on average. And that was, you know, that was um, scouting. And I only archery hunted that buck. That was just scouting and archery hunting. Um, and um, yet, yet where was he on those other days? Well, he didn't just migrate away. You know, he just, it's just the places they live. They're hard to see. And, and if you really pay attention to a lot of these articles, some of these you know, really good buck hunters that write these articles, you know, I'm thinking the, you know, the Ryan hatches and the, um, you know, the guys that, that, that really focus on one buck and stay after them. Um, you know, some of the guys on the strip and everything, you know, they, they end up killing most of these bucks right around where they've seen them, but they go days and sometimes weeks without seeing them. I'm Jason Carter. I've heard him talk about that and everything. And, you know, sometimes when I talk to her, they think, oh, that buck left and went to a secondary area and then he came back. Well, maybe, but I doubt it just because they're not that nomadic when they get that old, you know, they're, they're sticking around there. So to your question, Jordan, if, if I, if, if it's Bucky and I've seen a buck there that year, I don't well, go very far. I just keep hitting it, you know, and, and sometimes you get burned. You did. You, I mean, look at, look at our buck hunt that we keep talking about. You just get burned. It doesn't always work. Even when you do the right things, you know, I spent 13 or 14 days up there over a couple of hunts and might even have been like 16 or 17. Now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but I never saw him. But I had chances that, you know, some of those other bucks that were in that film, that kind of, you know, 165 to bumping up to 180 range. And I, you know, I think a lot of guys listening to this podcast would be super happy with those deer. And so, you know, even though I didn't find, you know, the buck rock slide, you know, he was, he was one of those giants. Um, even though I didn't find him, I still, by, by getting in that country and living in it and not just giving up and leaving, on to the next peak, like I used to, you know, cause I just thought, Oh dear migratory. They're like lost children. They don't, they don't, they don't have any rhyme or reason for what they're doing. Well, maybe the young ones, but you know, by just by staying in there, look how many nice bucks we turned over. I mean, that buck with the radio collar, that was probably well into the one seventies. Wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah that, was was a, that, that was a good deer. I tried to talk you into it. I know you did. And, you know, now looking back, it's like, you know, he would have been a pretty good deer, but that's the <laughs> stuff that you just don't know when you're hunting, you know? And that's mm-hmm. why you know, I saw other questions on here about guys were like, you know, are, when you're scouting, are you looking, I think we've answered this, but are you looking for a country? Are you looking for bucks? Oh, I'm looking yep. for bucks. I am looking for bucks. The only time I'm looking for country is if I don't yet know where the bucks are. I guess that whole feature thing and everything. So kind of going round and about on the same question, but, but um, you know, that's, you can be over patient. You, you just got to get in there and learn your area, but yeah, don't, 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 don't sleep there a week thinking they're going to, they're going to show up if you haven't seen them there yet. If you haven't seen them there yet, but once, once I see a buck between the middle of July and the first of September, I am not just cruising the country. I, I'm I'm looking pretty pretty Everyone close, in. probably within that square mile of where I've seen him. Mm-hmm. So leading up to finding a buck, uh, we get a lot of of questions on glassing and such. What is your glassing strategy? I know last week when I was headed out, I hit you with a question, a last minute question of like, is five miles too far? Because I we had been driving around, found a, a glassing point right off of a road, actually that looked into some really good looking country and a lot of it. And I'm like, all right, if I can, you know, just see a a deer from this far away, I thought it was more like two miles, maybe three miles. And, um, 
the furthest stuff was five. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yikes, that's a long ways with, uh, mm-hmm. with what I was using. So can you dive into that anymore of like how what far was my answer when you look? asked me? You said depends on lighting conditions. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, if, if you can, if you can do that or not, you had glassed like with that Swaro 95 and BTX, you'd glassed deer at nine miles before. Nine miles. Exactly. And it was <laughs> under perfect conditions and I kind of knew the mountain I was looking at. So I, I knew where the rough, steep, cut up bucky stuff was because again, I'm looking where I've seen bucks before. It's where I expect to see them and uh, rising sun behind, uh, behind me. And, you know, perfect conditions uh, and wind matters too, because you can't look through an unsteady optic, um, and, you know, at that far. And, and sure enough, I spotted a, a big deer. I could, I could just get a hint of his antlers. Like when he would turn a little bit, you might see almost just like a blurry spot. Like, okay, there must be antlers right there. But I could tell by the body size and by where he was that that is a buck. And that's probably even a really nice buck. Um, so that's my record. That's that's nine miles. That's why I threw that out there when you asked mm-hmm. me, because under good conditions, you, you can do that. And I have a whole chapter at the end of my book called Extreme Long Range Glassing. And for me, that's beyond about three miles. And so if you can get the sun behind your you typically have to have the sun behind your back or behind one of your shoulders. All right. It's got to be in that 180 degrees behind you. Um, and if, if you can do that and, and, and you can get steady and you've got, you know, it usually takes, you know, you gotta be in a place where you can see a lot of country. And, um, I think that three to five miles is kind of the sweet spot, but where guys get goofed up on that, I don't think you have to have superhuman vision to see a deer at that far. It's that they get frustrated that they're like, well, it's a deer, but what is it? <laughs> oh that's yeah. That's what this whole podcast is about mm-hmm. is finding the deer narrowing down the country with where they're at. So that's why I want to look at a lot of country because then I can rule out. I never saw anything in that drainage in two mornings. All I saw over there was elk. Elk are freaking everywhere. I'm so sick of looking at them. And then over in that drainage, I didn't see anything. But over here, I saw deer and they were acting like bucks. In fact, I think that one was a buck. I'm not quite sure, but I think so. I didn't see any small deer with them, no fawns. You know, and, and in the summer from, you know, basically July till the first of September, most does are alone with their fonts. They're not in big groups or the bucks are in big groups. So mm-hmm. if I'm seeing that kind of stuff, I'm like, okay, I just narrowed it down. Yeah, but I might be looking at a 150 buck and I may, may have to come back the next weekend to figure out how to get over there and look at them. And, and this is where I lose guys. Cause they're like, well, yeah, I put all that time into it. And sure enough, there's just a bunch of regular four points in there. Well, welcome <laughs> to the game that we play. That's the kind of stuff you got, you yeah. gotta, you know, and if we're losing the ability to hunt these good draw hunts and we are people look around, look, I mean, I wrote about it six years ago in my book that the draws are horrible. They're only worse now. So I, I can only expect they're just going to be worse five years from now. So I'm not even really looking at those hunts anymore. Um, and so we've got to go to places where, you know, we got to filter through, through a bunch of deer and a bunch of spots and, 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 and Jordan, I, you know, sometimes I don't even find a big buck with all of my summer scouting until the very, very end of the summer, or sometimes even off into, into, you know, or the early part of archery season, you know, I gotta, I can spend you know, 20, 30, 40 days out there, not all day, but you know, different trips and stuff. 
to, to, to be able to look at enough deer. So to your question about glass in Jordan, you know, that, that I think that three to five miles is a sweet spot. If you have great glass, you got to be in the upper tier of glass to do that. You know, like, uh, um, uh, Swaro, Zeiss, you know, you kind of got to be at that level. I've done it with lesser glass, but the better glass that you have, the more chance you're going to, you're going to be able to say, not only are there deer over in that drainage, I could see his antlers. I know that was a good buck. Um, and, um, if anybody goes back on my Instagram page to about August of 19, you'll see, it's just a green video. That's how you'll know which one you're looking at. It's like a big green hillside. Mm-hmm. Look at those bucks on that. Those bucks were spotted at five miles from a highway, four or five miles, if I remember right. And one of them was big. I could tell he was big and I, I wouldn't have found those bucks any other way. I've been on that mountain you know, on, when you're on that slope that those bucks are on, you can't really see them. Um, it's just too, again, too much cut up terrain. I don't want to scout that mountain from the ground. I can't see enough. Mm-hmm. I want to scout it from a long ways away. And then once I have that buck's address, well, yeah, that's when I'm going to get in there boots on the ground. I don't mind going four or five, six, seven days without seeing him. Cause I know he's there. He's just moving in and out of these these little goalies and, you know, different hillsides, you know, different times of the day, I'm not seeing him, but if I spend enough time in there, especially with a gun in my hand, you know, I may get a crack at him in range. Yeah. I think, um, you know, coming from this podcast, a very key thing that we keep talking about is get in the area and get boots on the ground. And I mean, most of the questions that we got, I mean, I have five pages of questions here. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say over 50% are just online scouting. Like, how are you finding, how are you finding these deer online scouting? And I mean, the answer is you're not like, I'm not got to get in the unit. Yeah. <laughs> and I think getting that, that 10,000 foot, when you get in there, get a 10,000 foot view of everything first, whether that be mm-hmm. from a road or mm-hmm. whatnot, be able to look at a ton of country and then you, you narrow it down from there. Like when I was mm-hmm. glassing, I just, after talking to you, I just flipped my days. Instead of looking at that spot in the evening, I looked at it in the morning. The sun was going to be a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I saw a whole bunch of elk on those, in those little basins. Um, See what I mean? Yep, exactly. And then I look over <laughs> not too far from me in a burn and I saw like five deer. <laughs> awesome. And already you're like, okay, maybe I need to change the way that I look at this place. Mm-hmm. You bet. You bet. And you know, it seems basic. It seems really, really basic, but I, we forget this, that the deer are going to tell you where they're at. If you just go spend, they're going to tell you where they like to be. I mean, they're, they're going to, they don't just, especially the older ones, they don't just randomly wander. So if you saw five deer in that burn, were you able to confirm if they were bucks? If they were, they were just tiny little things. No, I, I didn't confirm in it. But were it was, they equal size? Were their bodies all about yes. the same? Okay. So this, and this was last weekend. It was, yep. Uh, middle of last so, week. So, so the, do, the, 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 the north of about central Arizona, um, the does start having their babies, their fawns in the first week of June. It's like a great big bell curve from like the last week of May to roughly the 15th of June with the peak of it, you know, come right in the middle of it, it can shift a little bit in there, but that's when the babies are hitting the ground. Okay. The does 
are not hanging out with their girlfriends at that time. They're looking for a place that's secure. You know, they're getting all the recon on which, which breast patch am I going to have this baby in? How far do I have to, to get water? The, 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 a doe may get all her water from plants until she has that baby and starts lactating. Now she's got to have a lot of water. And so she's going to find those places. They're not hanging out in groups. So, so that's the first thing that would tell me if you saw five deer of equal size, they were either five does with no fawns. Well, last week was the seventh. The chance of five does with no fawns is pretty small, but, but not as small as the chance of five does hanging out together at that time of year. That's more like, you know, that's more like in the winter or later in the fall when I see those doe groups. Okay. And so that, that tells me right there. And, and I'm just breaking down your, your scout that, Hey man, I want to get over where I can look into that burn a little bit better. And even if, even if I'm wrong and they were all those, even I'm totally wrong, I still found deer country. I still found something that they like. And depending on the season, you know, maybe, maybe it's like, Hey, I got a rifle tag in here too. And man, those does are nailing that right now. This could be a good place to look, you know, later in the fall because it's got green feed now, maybe it'll have green feed then, especially if it's not up on a big open hillside getting burnt off. You know what I mean? And so okay. that's sometimes where, and, 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 and I, and I did it too. And sometimes I still do it. That's where I give up too soon. I'm like, well, I didn't see any big bucks. And then I just keep moving on. I'm like, well, maybe I did. Maybe I saw a big buck spot and I just really need to get in there and, 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 and either rule it out that, Hey, this, this is not a good place, but just as often I end up ruling it in. I'm, you know, maybe I found big tracks or you know, whatever. Um, and, 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 and so that, that's kind of how, how I'm putting it all together. And that, that's why by Google earth, you know, we've just, until there's a Mark Livesey for mule deer, or Google earth, I, I just don't know really what to tell people on that. And maybe there is maybe because just cause I have not spent a bunch of time on it. I'm just missing a lot of stuff. There, there actually is somebody that does a lot. That's Brady Miller. And, yeah. um, you know, he, I hear him talking about a lot. He's got some good, some good stuff down on it. You know, if you're, if you're looking for that stuff, but you know, for me, Google earth is just kind of preliminary. Where am I going? What does the country look like? That's why I don't fly as much as I used to, because you didn't even have that back then. You know, you had to go get in a, get in a plane and go fly over a mountain range to even get an idea of where's the green feed, where's the buck country, you know, where, where you can find that on Google earth now. But, you know, once I know that I don't, there's nothing, there's nothing else there for me. You know, I said that in my book until they start, start a live satellite feed on Google earth where you can actually spot bucks from space. God forbid that yeah. Google earth still has its limits. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So before we, uh, I want to roll into like a lightning round of questions because we got like a bajillion of them. Awesome, um, man. I appreciate everybody writing in about that too. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, before we roll into that, I want to thank our sponsor Onyx Hunt Maps and uh, for all they do for us. And I wanted to ask you, Robbie, what your favorite, let's see what your most used feature is um, of Onyx. You know, right now, um, it's just being able to drop a pin when I have been somewhere that I want to come back to. And I'm talking micro scouting, like I may want to come in here and put a trail camera right here where these two trails come together. And I don't want to spend a morning refinding this spot. And, and, and so to just be able to drop a pin and then over time, as, as I drop more pins in a certain area, and this happened last year. I, I saw some big bucks up on this hillside, um, two of them. And um, 
as, as I was marking it on Onyx, you know, I had all my pins from previous years. I'm like, well, this makes total sense why I'm seeing big bucks in here because there's a salt lick over here that I saw some, some, some deer out. It's like a cattle salt lick or something. Um, um, but I, I saw some, saw some deer there. And then there's a point that was just, I don't like, like 500 yards of it from like three years ago where I saw some big tracks um, out in this kind of just muddy stomped in spot, probably we're getting water. And, oh, there was something else I saw in there too. Like maybe it's just another buck sighting from, from previous years. But I'm like, you know, the, any one of those pins alone didn't mean a whole lot. But when I put them all together, I'm like, oh yeah, there's a little bit of a pattern right here. So, so, so really for right now, I'm a pretty basic guy, if you can't tell, just being able to keep track of that stuff over the years so that you can, you can kind of put a pattern together of your area. That is, that has been really helpful for me with Onyx. That's awesome. Are you good at labeling them and such, or is it a sea of red X's? (laughs) <laughs> the old ones are a sea of red X's. I have to look at them and go, what the heck was that there for? But no, yeah. now, man, I, even if it's just like, you know, cause you know how this half time you got gloves on, you don't want to type on your phone. Yeah. You know, I'll at least, you know, do you ever operate your phone with your tongue, Jordan? Be honest. Come on. No, I have with my nose before. Your tongue is way better. It's always wet, <laughs> unless your nose is a little snotty. So even if I have to take my tongue and push that little speaker button so that I can talk into my phone, and half the time it's a bunch of errors, but you know, I'll, I'll at least say something like two trails converge right here or big buck track right here. You know, maybe I get back to the truck and it says Big Mac eat here, you know, but at least I have an idea of, of what it was because you are right. You can end up with a C of garbage that you can't even remember what it was. And, you know, just like I don't have a thousand pictures on my phone, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of light on pictures because you get so many, you just don't, you end, you end up not looking at them because you're too stressed out. It's like every time I open it, it's like, oh my gosh. So I, I'm kind of the same way with pens. I try to keep it fairly clean, but to your question, yes, say something about what they are or you are going to wish that you wouldn't even have put them on there. Oh yeah. Or, um, attach pictures to them that you can do that. Now I've had, let's see, last year we were elk hunting and my buddy dropped me like a couple of spots or he just dropped me a couple of pins through Onyx and he had pictures attached to them. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. Yeah. I forgot about that. I just started doing that last year. Um, cause I had a tag where I was hunting migration. And when I went in, in the summer, because even if I have a migration tag and there's no deer there, I go scout the winter range in the summer and the migration routes. I took a, maybe like five pictures and put them with the spot. And, 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 and that did help to remember what that looked like there. And also just helped me when I look at the picture to remember why, I even, why I even went there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Sweet. So Onyx, um, again, has just been a really good tool for, a ton of people, including you and I, and we've been using it for a long time and it's just a great source. So if you go to onyxmaps.com forward slash hunt and go to purchase a subscription, you can enter code rockcast for a 20% off. All right. And that's on their elite or their um, regular membership. So even either. if you're one state yeah. or you're 50 state, either one. Oh, that's a good deal. So you're basically yeah, about what, 80, 90 bucks then for an elite membership. I think it's 80 for an elite that would that's take 20 good. bucks off. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Cause these are usually, I think I paid like a hundred bucks for my first one for all the States. Yeah. And we've been using it for, uh, here looking at, we've been looking at houses 
and mm-hmm. we've been looking at like land ownership of houses to see like exactly where the lines are so oh, yeah i mean there's there's way more yeah like when i was in hawaii last week i was using onyx just to kind of look at the different beaches and if there, i mean there's so much more on there than hunting i mean that'd be like three more podcasts yeah seriously seriously sweet um okay lightning so round lightning round man you're gonna have to like grab my tongue if i keep going on too long but i do like I, lightning rounds. um i only really have four questions marked down i think we really hit scouting pretty hard and e-scouting mm-hmm. and and the rest of those questions that were on here first one here uh are there certain facing slopes that you're narrowing down to when you're looking at country okay let's let's talk pre antler rub this time of year the, oh, the more open slopes that still have green feet on them are what I'm looking at. Most of the time, they end up with an eastern or um, uh, a southern or a little bit of a western aspect. Those, those three slopes. Uh, north face slopes, not really keying on a lot this time of year. There's not a lot of feed there, and they don't need a lot of thermal cover. So kind of those three slopes. But if it's a burnt-off western slope, I just don't see that many deer on And same with Southern. I don't see that many deer on Interesting. Okay. Um, mid elevation country, top three things you look at. Okay. This says when e-scouting, but I just want to know the top three things you look at when you're looking at mid elevation, what would that be like? Six to 8,000 feet, five to eight? Around here, probably four to eight, five to eight, right around there, mm-hmm. five to eight. Um, you might get over there where you're at because you guys are lower than we are. There might be, there's some stuff at 4,000 feet over there. Um, what are the three things I'm looking at? Um, lack of access. And again, it doesn't have to be 10 miles in. Has to be tough to get to. Next thing is some vantage points. If I'm scouting this time of year, I need to be able to see it. And <laughs> it has to be relatively unknown i can't be reading about it on the forum and on yeah. facebook and you know and or, or just every guy in my town goes to a certain spot right up here i'm not going to go there it has to be even and you know why a lot of people go to those places because they're good there's a lot of there's a lot of deer it's just too too much too much activity so th- those three things lack of activity hard to get to and some vantage points i like it Okay. I think this question has more to do with actual uh, hunting season versus scouting, but when do bucks mm-hmm. want to be in the shade and when do they want to be in the sun? You know, bucks are like us, you know, I'm sitting out here on my patio right now and I just moved back in the shade because the sun's just burning half of my face off. <laughs> and er- early in the day, like, you know, I think that's why you got that golden hour and a half or so from, you know, half hour before sunrise to, you know, maybe hour after sunrise, it, you can be in the sun and it's not that hot. And I find those bucks are behaving just like humans. A little, little sun touch them, you know, the kind of the bigger bucks will be closer to cover, but you know, you might be able to spot them easily with your naked eye at a, at a, you know, half a mile, even a mile in right conditions. And, but once it starts getting hot, they will move into the shade this time of year. And, and um, I don't, it doesn't have to be a North facing slope. You know, I get a lot of questions on that and I, it doesn't have to be a north facing slope it just has to have shade every slope will have shade and i think that's why they have an affinity for cover because that's that's what it provides and that doesn't mean they're going to go in there and stay all day 
but you know, they, they like to get out of it. And if you watch watch enough bucks, you know, in their beds, you know, a lot of things that will get them, a lot of times, what will get them to move is the sun hitting them. Um, but then it kind of can reverse itself a little bit as you get into really cold weather and late in the fall, you'll see bucks out sunning themselves on slopes. They're all, they're doing the opposite. They're trying to pick up that, that, that thermal, uh, that thermal energy. And so, you know, that's, that's where glassing comes in on this whole question. doesn't matter if it's early season or later season, I'm looking for bucks and I'm looking in the shade and out of the shade. I'm, I'm just tearing the country apart. Awesome. Okay. And last question, how often are deer going for water and how far will they travel for water? I think it, um, it depends a little bit on where you live. I, I keep talking to guys that are living in places with no surface water and there are deer, you know, these are typically desert deer, no surface water to speak of, you know, maybe, a you know, it rained a little bit and there's some in a cow track somewhere, but you know, there's not a spring to speak of or anything like that. And, you know, within a, a couple of miles and they think that the deer are getting the majority of their water just from their plants, yet they may travel that mile or two every three four days to hit that water and that's where that's where the whole controversy of trail cameras has come in because guys know where all those water sources now and and you walk in and it's like walking walking the spring it's like being on the red carpet in hollywood you know (laughs) flashes going off and everything Mm -hmm. but a lot of those guys i'm talking to are saying yeah this buck waters you know and unless it's extremely hot every three days so you know they're they're, they got to be getting water from from their plants. And then when you get into, um, kind of that mid elevation range, I think that's one thing that makes it a little bit harder is there's at least most places I go, there's water everywhere. There's creeks and springs and all that other stuff. And many of them, you don't even know they're there. They're not on a map or anything until you walk, walk through it and you find them and you step in a little squishy spot. No, there's water here. Oh, look, there's deer tracks right here. And so I think those deer are watering more just because it's, it's more convenient. Um, jalapeno, I learned a lot from that buck. Um, he lived on a mountain where there was, um, water at the bottom of the mountain. I think he watered every day, but he only had to go about a half a mile to, to and it was kind of on his way to feed and bed. It was right there. I, he was down there a lot, but he would only drink at night. I would, I, I had trail cameras down there. I never got him during the day. All it told me was that he's in, on that part of the mountain at night. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really have a canned answer for it, but I think that's one of those things that you can kind of figure out when you're scouting. And, you know, if your state still allows trail cameras, um, um, I think everybody does, but they're getting rare. Um, and the fun police are on patrol. Um, the, a, a trail camera can, can, can reveal that, you know, how often they're watering, but I don't, I'll end it with this. I don't pay as much attention to water as people think. I probably pay about as much attention to it as I do Google Earth. I know it's there. I want to know about it. But all my trail camera stuff over the years has taught me these big bucks do not want to water in in the daytime. They very seldom, like 90 plus percent of the time, they are watering at night. And so my odds are better being on my feet, glassing, still hunting, uh, moving through deer country, tracking, you know, things like that than sitting on a water hole. That, that's, that's been my experience. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I thank you, Robbie. I know that we bounced through a lot of, um, a lot of information. We bounced around a little bit, um, on different things, but hopefully it, it helps somebody. I know when I got off the mountain last week, I just thought like the, it's always humbling. <laughs> Scouting is always humbling. You know, I think that 
especially after talking, like listening to a bunch of podcasts and hearing about all these people like finding deer and, and whatnot, you always think you're just going to roll up and, and, uh, find a giant at the beginning of the year, like find this Mm -hmm. place where there's like 20 bucks in a basin. And then it just doesn't happen. And you get reeled back into reality a little bit. Yeah. But that's the normal, that's the new norm. We got, you know, as as we're losing our draw hunts and our ability to draw them. And, you know, unfortunately we're leaving, losing some of our OTC hunts. That's why we need more mule deer. Everybody go join join the mule deer foundation, more bigger mule deer uh, populations will fix, will alleviate this, this pressure on tags. And it's only like 30 bucks a year to join the mule deer foundation. And you can go up, you can go up from there, but everybody do that. Um, but you're exactly right. Jordan is as humans. It's, I wrote it in my book. It's too easy to sit at your computer and plan all these giant hunts. And then you get out there the first day and you, you get a mosquito bite and you don't see any bucks and it's hot. Oh man. It, then it, it, reality is there. But that's, that's, that's part of why I love it. You know, you just keep, you know, working through all that stuff. And, and then when you turn, turn one over, it's, it's all that more memorable. Um, there was one question I saw on here that I wanted to answer real quick. Somebody okay. had asked for books or resources on desert mule deer. Um, um, Dennis Winch's book, I reviewed it on uh, the rock blog last year. If you just go research my blog at rockslide.com, um, just type, there's a little um, magnifying glass on there. Just type in Dennis Winch, W-I-N-T-C-H. And I've got a whole review on his book there. He really hit a lot of that deserty type deer. Um, Jason Carter hunts a lot of desert deer. He's a good guy. To, he doesn't have a book, but, you know, good guy to follow and listen to. Um, that, that would be another good resource. Um, and then anybody that's hunting desert deer, just, just find out who those guys are. So that, that would be a good one right there. And, um, I think that was the only question I saw in there. I don't, I don't think we hit in some form or another. So hopefully that'll help somebody. Perfect. Yeah. And (laughs) speaking of books, your book, um, I just threw that thing in the back of my pickup when I was on that scouting trip last week, I've been browsing through it and everybody should go pick that up from the, if you buy it from Rockside, you sign it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It takes a couple of weeks yeah. to get it out. It's a lot slower than buying it from Amazon, but you know, if people are into that stuff, they want to, they want it signed or the best ones are guys will like send me a, a funny message. They're usually buying it for a friend. They're like, Hey dude, write in this guy's book, but Hey man, I'm really sorry. You're having such a hard time finding the old deer. I, I hope this book will help Oh, stuff like that. So funny. <laughs> But, but yeah, we can sign them if you buy them at the Rockside store. You can just get on Amazon, Hunting Big Mule Deer, How to Take the Best Buck of Your Life. That's on there. And I feel honored that my book made it into the back of Jordan's truck. <laughs> when stuff's in the back Listen. of my truck, I'm headed to the dump. So I don't know if that's any good <laughs> no. or not, but at least I'm in the Listen. back. Yeah, the back is basically my mobile bed. So when okay, I crawl in better. in the evenings, yeah, that's where I'm, <laughs> that's where I'm flipping through it. That is funny. Hey, and one, let's leave, uh, one other thing I want to leave with guys is I'm just getting, he- I'm just headed out tonight to Bozeman, Montana to uh, uh, Western um, Hunting Summit. It's put on by the Lampers, uh, Ryan and Hillary Lampers. Yeah. And um, it's kind of a, a, a private event. People pay and they can attend. I think they take like 40 people for the weekend. They invite you know, people to come and speak on Mule Deer. That's what I'm going for. You know, other guys that are there, Joel Turner's there. Um, I'm coaching on archery. Brian Barney's there talking about hunting the West. Robert Haneman's there. The true where to go guy, I call him. If you ever ask me where to go, I'm going to send you to Robert. Um, but there's <laughs> a big summit up there this weekend. It's too late to get in now. It's, it's booked out, but they do this every year. So just um, if you really want to want to connect, you know, in person with, with some of these people and, you know, spend a weekend talking about this stuff and, you know, we're shooting our bows, shooting our guns, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, 
Ryan's probably rendering bear fat and feeding us wild onions. You know, there's all that kind of stuff going on with him and Hillary, which sounds really interesting. I hope I don't get sick. Um, look for that next year. He usually advertises it in um, like December, January. And I know it fills up fast. Some of, He has about three different weekends you can attend. Um, I'm doing the combo weekend, which means archery, rifle, muzzleloader. We're talking about a weapon types. I think they have an archery only weekend. They have a rifle weekend. So watch for that. It's a great resource, but that's where I'm headed tonight. Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait to hear about that. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it.